0: and motorbikes and all that sort of thing. (laughs) It's all happening. Okay, guys, let me uh, just set up where we're at. And uh, we're in good time today, so we've got lots of time for coffee. And you'll be home in time to see Liverpool, West Ham. So it's all good with the world as we speak. Um, We are going to spend a lot of time as a community of faith. Uh, God's been speaking to us um, for years, I suppose, not just weeks and months, but on how best we can be followers of Jesus. How do you be disciples? And uh, sometimes it's a very confusing question, what does a disciple look like? Many churches have different forms of, of uh, helping people on that journey. A lot of it's around academia and classroom and getting people to be, inf- be informed by information. But we want to take it a slightly different um, road, if that's okay, and we think it's well, I'm convinced it's totally biblical as I read ancient scripture and look at the life of Jesus Christ here on earth. It's not so much about being informed, but actually being formed, because it all happens on the inside. And when it happens on in the inside, when you're formed, then the information actually takes you on a journey and leads to something a lot more healthier and a lot more whole. Does that make sense? And so we're going to spend a lot of our time this year weaving in and out of what it looks like to be a disciple. Or better language in our modern day would be how to be an apprentice. An apprentice, somebody who trains, somebody who learns. And uh, I think we have lost our way in that. Maybe it's become unclear. Maybe we've just uh, marketed it a bit too much through the church. And uh, I can see that happening. There's many thoughts and ideas. So we're going to spend some time helping you. In fact, a lot of time helping you discover how to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to be devoted to Christ and to be a disciple. You notice in ancient scriptures, there's very little reference to Christian. Very little reference to the word Christian. The ancient scriptures use the word disciple. Disciple. I remember remember years and years ago, uh, we were out doing a lot of and stuff. And this guy who knew me, he, he, he couldn't quite take it all in. And I suppose there was change in my life, so that was good. And uh, he says to me, like, you're not even, like, I don't understand. You're not like going to church, even. You're not like being a Christian. You're like a disciple. Yeah, and, and what he meant was like, you've just got weird. But, <laughs> but I, I took it on as a, a compliment, and I hope that some people say, over the weeks and months and years as we live our lives, that we're we're not just Christian, but we're like actually looking like Jesus and being his followers and doing that. So we''re going to, ba- going to go back to the Jesus model. We're going to organize our lives around three things here at Vineyard Church, Ghana. This is really super important. I'm going to probably say this every week. The three things that we're going to organize our lives around is being with Jesus. being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. I think that's a definition, a great definition, a biblical definition, a New Testament definition of what it means to be Christian, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If we get those three things, then that's absolutely beautiful. If we can learn to be with Jesus, we live in a culture that's, that's so hard to do with information and technology and and internet and and everything that's going on around this information overload, we find it so hard, at least I do, and this is Confessions of a Pastor here this Sunday morning, I find it so hard sometimes just being with Jesus. But we know when we be with Jesus, when we start to live our lives with Him and learn to connect with Him through the disciplines and the practices that is given to us in Scripture and Jesus' model, when we start to be with Jesus, we start to become like Him. Remember when you were a kid and your parents found out you were hanging out with somebody else because you had a bad attitude and you come into the house and your mother says, oh, we know who you've been hanging about with this week, Billy. Remember that, Billy? And then the other kids' parents used to say the same about you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Vice versa. So, you, and, 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 and that's what we want to do. We want to learn to be with Jesus, become like him and do what he did. But you need to understand there's a reason in this. There's a goal to be in An apprentice. Anybody ever done an apprenticeship? Or anybody currently in an apprenticeship? You did one? The mechanic? He was like the sexy mechanic with the wee bandana in the back pocket, something out of grease, you know? (laughs) He was like grease lightning. That was Derek. And uh, this is listened to all over the world. And uh, the people will be Googling Derek Dickey. Derek, wonder what he looks like. And they'll not be in any way surprised when they see his image come up. So an apprentice Derek is an apprentice it was an apprentice anybody else done an apprenticeship Billy Josh Ben are you in the room? Ben are you in the room if you don't come to me I'll come to you so it works right here so your end goal is to have all the knowledge right so you have that certificate and you put it in the wall that's your end goal right or is it Is it that you're informed or is it actually that you've learned some things to actually fix some things, to do some things, to actually work with, do what you've been trained to do? I think that's what an apprentice is. And so often in the church of Jesus Christ, we get trained and trained and trained and trained and and informed and informed and informed and informed. And at the end of it, all we have is knowledge, information overload. We do not need any more information. You do not need any more information. Believe you me, you have enough. You've heard, well, I'm going to do myself a disfavor here. You've heard enough sermons to do you a lifetime, but I am coming back next week with another one. (laughs) Man, what are you living off at the minute? What sermon are you living off? What information? What Bible text? What scripture? What word? What promise are you living off? We have more than we need. Did you know that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart? Did you know that? It's totally biblical. It's in Romans. Paul writes that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. What more do you need? If the love of God, the actual God, the Father, the creator of the universe, if his love is shed abroad in your heart, that's good. That's good. But the end goal of disciple, apprentice, is that you actually do something with your your learning. And so our job as, as followers of Jesus Christ, why we're disciples, why we become apprentices, and here it is, here's the big moment, here's the everything, here's the aha moment. This is where it all hinges on. We learn to be apprentices, we learn to be disciples because our job, our final job, once we become apprentices, once we're learning the ropes and once we're learning how to do the things of Jesus and be with Jesus, our job, our one and only job here on planet Earth is to usher in what we call the rule of and reign of King Jesus here on the earth. It's called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And it's a pretty big job. So we might as well start somewhere. We might as well be with him. We might as well start to learn to become like him. We might as well start doing the stuff because your job is to usher in the kingdom here near and far so that you reflect heaven so that God's rule and reign, the manifestation of heaven actually happens in your workplace, actually happens in your street, your family, in politics, in medicine, in the arts, and entertainment. It actually happens everywhere. We're not sitting here waiting for something to happen. We're not sitting here to be smarter people, to be more informed people. We're here to be formed by the presence and the beauty of Jesus Christ through the power and presence of the tangible Holy Spirit so that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, here on the earth can be made manifold and all things start to become new that's our goal who's up for that guys you gotta be kidding me because you're putting me in a bad mood if none of you're up for that there who is up for that just give me one okay I've got half a dozen I can work with that I can work with half a dozen people what the rest is going to do what the rest is going to do? keep learning so as followers that's our goal Here's the difficulty in what I said last week and what I'm learning slowly but surely is that even in sleepy Dungan and in County Tyrone, we live in a post-Christian culture. Post-Christian culture, not that we forget or we have no uh, remembrance anymore, not that we've all been uh, injected by some amnesia uh, drug, that we forget that there's a Jesus, a God, and a Bible. It's not that at all. A post-Christian culture is simply, and you'll find it everywhere that we go now, I'm not getting political, I'm just getting biblical, is this, that people want, The effects of the kingdom, the resources of the kingdom, the advantage of the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, anxiety-free, peace, joy, healthy families, a way to live in the shalom of God that gives us inner peace and outer peace. It helps us in all of our lives, in every sphere, in every part of society. People want the, the kingdom, but they don't want the king. They want the kingdom, but they don't want the king. And that's what it means to live in a post-Christian culture. So there is a little pushback. There's a little uh, thing that we come up against every now and then. It's called culture. And nothing has changed then because Jesus actually got himself killed for ushering in the kingdom. You know that Jesus constantly preached the gospel. He He constantly spoke about the kingdom of heaven 128 times, I think, in the New Testament. Reference after reference pertaining to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus' sole message was to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And he ended up dying for it. Which was good for you and I, actually. Good for you and I. So be thankful, but just don't be thankful, be active in our apprenticeship. So then the question is, how do we live lives? How do we, how do we get this beautiful kingdom? Uh, how do we deliver this beautiful kingdom? Because it is a beautiful kingdom. It's a good way to live. It's a right and, uh, and proper way to live. It's the way that God intended humanity to live, to be formed, and to have... Um, peace here on earth, and it's through the kingdom of heaven. So how do we bring the life that we have experienced and touched and tasted and seen that God is good, how do we bring that life into uh, the lives of other people? How do we cause other people to experience the life of the kingdom? And I'm sure and I hope that that's your motivation here as you sit in a black chair, that you have this desire within you, you've got friends, you've got family, that you want to see experience the kingdom of heaven where they're at. I hope that is a desire for you. If it's not a desire, then you need to learn to be with Jesus, right? And being with Jesus, you'll become like him. You'll catch his heart, and then all of a sudden, he'll do a transformation, and you'll become compassionate, loving people who want other people who don't yet experience the kingdom to be, uh, yeah, not just people that experience it, but contributors, actually, of this beautiful kingdom. Is any of this making sense this morning? And uh, and that's what we're going to spend our lives doing here at Vineyard Church Dungannon. I'm going to find another church. (laughs) I hope that, I pray, I do pray that God has put a love in our hearts for all us to experience the kingdom. And so last week, we opened up a new conversation called The Table. It's one of the ways that Jesus uh, helped do that, one of his main ways of modeling the kingdom and and doing evangelism, as we would know, it. The Table, with this idea that we're not left wanting... We're not left waiting. God has a plan. God has models of how we can extend the kingdom to those who are are far from the kingdom and those who are close to the kingdom. Jesus always gives us a model. He's never left us. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You practice what Jesus did. You say what he said. You do what he does and be with him. That's just simply what it means to be an apprentice. And so we've grown up with the WWJD, what would Jesus do? But I said last week it would be more fitting if we just did the WDJD. I have, uh, what have I got? dyslexic so sometimes they get the, the letters but it is let me just look at my notes w d j d and they're all bunching all over the place what did jesus do what did he do? So we find out. We get to know. We're not guessing. We're not playing Christianity. We're not making it up. We're not just selling some crazy around here in Vineyard Church, Dungana. We actually have a model. We actually have a way. And look, he uses this phrase. I know I'm repeating myself a lot from last week, but I want you to get this because it's very helpful. Uh, If we don't get it now, we'll probably find it hard to do the stuff later. She, in in the book of the gospel actually in the four gospels there's this phrase the son of man came one's found in mark and two are found in the book of luke and remember the old new testament and the old testament in the days of bible time and, and straight after bible time people weren't literate they didn't read they didn't have uh lessons on how they how they learned to read so how they, how did they how were they taught the ancient scriptures it was oral People spoke about it. That's why I said again in Deuteronomy, it says in the morning, those who, are, who have got young kids, here's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff for you to do. It says in the morning, open up the scriptures. That means to speak the scriptures to your children. And then the last thing at night when your kids are going to bed, again, speak the ancient scriptures. And that's how the scriptures were uh, informed and that's how they got translated, was through oral speaking. Well, oral is speaking. We speak in the ancient scriptures, not by reading some book, but actually speaking. And so when, when Luke's uh, readers and those who were um, speaking in the book of the gospel of Luke, when they heard the Son of Man coming and they heard it another time, they thought, oh, twice. Any repeat in scripture is worth worth diving into worth paying attention to it's a bit like bold it's a bit like highlighter in our modern day anytime in ancient scripture where you see a phrase or a word repeated that's why when we come to revelation it says the the book of revelation they want you to get one thing they want you to get jesus all the other crazy stuff it just sells books and bad movies the book of revelation is the revelation of jesus christ and there's a part in the book of revelation where it says he is holy 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 You've got to pick that up. The reader and the listener would understand wow, they're making a point. What is God? Holy. Jesus is holy. And so they would have picked this up. The Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. And so in Luke 19 it says, He came to seek and save the lost. And we even in our culture, some people have a problem with that. They think, oh, you can't have outsiders and insiders. Well, actually, Jesus is just being kind because people are lost, not in the way that they're going. They know where they're going in life. They've planned their life. They, they've planned their education, their, their work life, their family life, their, their spending life, their saving life. Most people have, have planned all that stuff. Jesus isn't being smart or being outside, inside language. He's actually being gracious and helpful. He said, there's people that are lost, as in they're lost in their relationship. To me, they're, they're, they're finding their way in life, but they are just bundled up with anxiety and just burnt out. So here's the way I want to help him find the right path. So he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's his statement. That's his purpose. That's the intent of Jesus' heart. That's what he came to earth to do, to usher in the kingdom, to seek and save the lost. But then how do we do it? How do we do it? And so when they hear this other phrase, they're thinking, "Uh aha, I've heard that before. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And then in Luke 7, they would have heard these words echoed right right before it, so it's back to front. Sorry, you've got the method, and then you've got, you've got the practice, and then you've got the method. It's just the way it's written, how Luke writes the book. He said, the son of man came eating and drinking. So much so, people called him a glutton and a drunkard. I don't actually believe Jesus was a drunkard, but he had to get his reputation somewhere. And uh, a lot of scholars say that Jesus was either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or having a meal. And so that's where they get this phrase, he was eating and drinking. Jesus lived in a culture that was hostile to the good news of the kingdom. He got himself killed for it. But how did he walk people into the kingdom? It's a very big question and a good question to ask here this Sunday morning. How did Jesus walk people into the kingdom? He was constantly preaching He was constantly demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. There's no way that you can get out of that. He was constantly doing that, preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God with an invitation to everyone to experience the rule of God. Would you agree with that? Yeah? No argument there. Okay. So the dollars would find freedom, the order of life that God intended right from the beginning so that they enjoy life. So if Jesus had a purpose, he also had a method for doing it. And here's the one method but I think that all of us can do. And here's a totally biblical method that we have lost. And Jesus did it this way. Here it is. Here is the spiritual dynamic of the life of Jesus. Method. We all love methods, don't we? We want to know what to do. How do we do it? Just, just tell me how to do it. Just tell me how to do it. I don't care about all the background. Just tell me what do I need to do. What do I need to do to get rich. What I need to do to get better. What I need to do to be a better parent. What I need to be, do to be a better husband and wife. What do I need to do. And here's Jesus one meal at a time. What an easy job I have. One meal at a time. One meal at a time. Jesus was constantly inviting people into the kingdom, and this is the way he did it, one meal at a time. If you're wanting people to meet Jesus where they're at, here's my big takeaway this week. Are you ready for this? you love it. Invite them, not to church. Wow, a pastor actually says that. Yeah, let me just say that again. It's not about inviting people to church. It's actually more about inviting people into your home. Your house. Your home. And this practice, my friends, is what the New Testament writers and scholars call hospitality. Airbnb did not invent it. Okay? Expedia did not invent it. Lastminute.com did not invent it. This word It's a biblical word. It's rooted in the ancient scriptures and practice of the Middle East. And Jesus used it as a method to engage people who were far from the Bible story, the story that we know, and who were close to it, and those who were part of the story of Israel. He used this to engage people so that they would experience the reality and the ushering in of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Amen. And while this practice is directed to to those who are outside, it's also directed to those who are inside the kingdom too. You can see that in the life of Jesus, right? He hung out with his disciples, and then he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, your house, dinner, let's go. Remember that? So it's for both. So what does it mean? We've lost it. It means the love of a guest. That's a Greek. I don't speak Greek. I know Google. The translation for Greek word for this hospitality is simply the love of the stranger. The love of the stranger. And it's it's a bit more than that. It's hospitality, but it's expressing. Listen, listen, listen. This is what it expresses. It expresses the love of God, the Father, in a tangible way. So guys, you can do Christianity that's coming out of your ears. I mean, we can get all religious and do all sorts of things, but this is basic 101, being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, even in the 21st century. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to practice his ways, to be like him, to become like him, to be with him. We need to learn the, 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 the principle and the practice of hospitality, expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love. It's beautiful, isn't it? Ideally through giving food. And other times, in those days, it was through shelter and relationship. So my job this morning as lead pastor, Michelle's job as lead pastor, man, I can't think of an easier way to help you become apprentices. Apprentices. And so my, my, you know, the only thing I have to do today is say to you guys, if you want to become a truly devoted follower of Jesus Christ, you want to practice one of Jesus' ways, one of his methods. This was Jesus' way of evangelizing to people. He didn't say to people, you know, go up to the street corner and wear a sandwich board and shout through a loud healer. I'm not making any of you do, do that. If you want to do that, go and knock yourself out. Just tell them you're from a different church. <laughs> I'm not making any of you, I'm not asking anybody to do that. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be some gifted evangelist. You don't, you don't have to do anything. All I'm asking you to do, Michelle and I are asking you to do, this is totally biblical, we are asking you to do this as we open and expound the ancient scriptures. It's open your home and open your kitchen. Are you up for that? Some of you are thinking, great week, great church, but I'll find somewhere else next week. See, meals are an important practice to be a disciple or an apprentice. I, just want, I know it sounds oversimplistic, but you can't get, this is so deep, you'll miss it. So deep you'll miss it. Meals are an important practice of being a disciple. New Testament scripture is all over hospitality. Turn your Bibles to Romans 12, 13. Romans 12, 13. I'm reading through the NIV. And again, if you're looking for where the book of Romans is, you're not used to reading ancient scripture um, Just go to the front of the book. There's a whole index. This is not a book. This is a library. There's a whole index of where the books are, how they're named, and it actually gives you the very page of where to find that. So go and find the book of Romans written by a guy called Paul. And he gives us some things to say. He says this. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. This is to the house of God first. This is to the family of God. How? How do we do that, Paul? Great idea. He says, practice hospitality, doesn't it? Practice is is actually to pursue it. It actually means that the the, the root of it is to do something with deep intentionality. Deep intentionality. It's actually, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of ideas and people giving me more ideas and more information and clever ways to do church and to grow church and how to become a more successful church and how to get your church past 100, then 200, then 300, then 500 and all this stuff. But just... Just give me Jesus. Just tell me how Jesus did some things. And Paul says this here, totally back to Jesus, where he says, just do something. Just be hospitable. In Hebrews 13, 1-2, it says this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Oh, that sounds kind of warm and fluffy, but how do we do that? Don't forget to show up. Don't forget to show hospitality. Romans 13, don't forget to show hospitality in doing so. Some people have actually shown hospitality to angels without knowing it, and that will really screw your head up, right? Because some of you don't even believe in that stuff. But it's totally scripture. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober of mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other. Love each other deeply, because love covers 1 Peter 4, 7. Sorry if I'm going too fast. Above all, verse 8 says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And then verse 9, it tells us how to do this. Offer hospitality to one another without what? Without grumbling. What does that look like? I hope they go home by 10. (laughs) Freak me, we've had the Harveys over. Michelle, it's like 12 o'clock. Can we go out the kitchen and talk? Because there is no sign of them going home. It's not so mean. Nobody knows it's true, but now they do. <laughs> or did you see what they brought? Like we just made a meal for them. And they, not them! For goodness sake, get your mind out of God people and bring your sights up a little bit higher. I'll do that which is right and proper. Did you see they just brought like, like crackers and cheese? That's what it means to do it without grumbling. Or they, they never invite us to their house. That's what it means to grumble. So, don't be a grumbler. If people want to stay late, let them stay late. Actually, we love the harvest. They're beautiful people. And they actually came with... You're not coming back? Like, <laughs> like the church or our house. <laughs> Let's take a second offering. <laughs> our offering today goes to the missionaries that live over in the elms called the harvest. <laughs> but in all seriousness, guys, we, we, we've got to do it without grumbling. You know, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Well, I think that includes your stuff. I think, I think that gift includes our kitchen table, our culinary skills, our, our ingredients, our hospitality skills, our listening skills, our I've got a better place set than you, Spotify skills. You know, all those things come into practice when we want to use our skills to do that. I think it includes your stuff. as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Beautiful. Have you ever read this one, the qualifications for a minister or a leader? Um, Here's a trustworthy saying. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 3. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money did you hear what happened to the pastor last week one of the top leaders in the church it's all out right there for six weeks he had nobody over his house for tea he lost his job did you hear that one did you miss it all over Twitter the past you know because you never hear that story right You never hear that story. We always talk about the drunkenness and the immorality and the lover of money. But who ever talks about the people who are not hospitable? See, it's not enough. If you're a church leader and if you're a leader in this place and you want to be a leader in this place, guys, we've got to learn to open our houses and our homes, right? You know what I mean? We want to, in Northern Ireland, good old Northern Ireland Christianity, we want to point out who's having a beer. We want to point out who's smoking. We want to point out this and that. that. But I have not seen anybody yet in Christendom point out that a leader has not opened their house in the last six weeks and had somebody around for their tea. Have you? I'm just making a point. That hospitality is one of the qualifications to being a leader. I'm going to show you a video right now. It lasts for about five minutes. Um, and this is a f- somebody who's been so, totally helpful for me. It's uh, Rosario Butterfield. She, is a f- she was a far-left lesbian feminist so lot of pick your ears up right away. Then. There's the buzzwords out there for you to pay attention to the video. I want you to watch this video, and, uh, and then I'm going to come back with one of her quotes, which I think is absolutely brilliant.
1: I was raised in an Italian family. There were some issues in my house that made it almost impossible to have people in. So hospitality didn't really become endemic to my life until I had set up a home of my own. I was a professor at Syracuse. I lived as an out lesbian feminist in New York. In our LGBTQ community, somebody's home was open every night of the week. And there was never a question, where will I go if I need help? Because the community itself is organic and fluid, and that was how we dealt with crises. After I wrote my tenure book, I really wanted to write a book that was on my heart. Why is the religious right such a hateful community? And why do they hate people like me? I was on a war against two things, patriarchy and stupid. So I was really curious to know why relatively decent people would use the Bible in such a hateful way. So I wrote an editorial, and it brought all kinds of attention my way, which I didn't really expect, but one of the things that brought my way was a letter from Ken Smith, the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. When Ken and his wife, Floy, invited me to dinner, I, I was happy. I, th- I thought of Ken as my unpaid research assistant. And they were fine with the fact that I, I wanted to read the Bible to critique it. That began a research journey that changed my life. But it wasn't research that changed my life. In Ken and Floyd's home, the way that they practiced hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. After my first dinner at Ken and Floy's house, Ken gave me a big hug, Floyd gave me a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. We said, we'll catch up next week. This was fun. Can't wait to do it again. They did not share the gospel with me and they did not invite me to church. And that was so wonderful because what it showed to me was that they didn't see me as a project. They actually saw me as a neighbor. I didn't step foot in the church for two years, but every week I was in their home. And every week, it was clear that pretty much anything could go. We could ask anything. Ken and Floyd were fine. And that process of dialogue and table fellowship was compelling. It was deeply compelling. I did not come to faith because I stopped feeling like a lesbian. It's not that I got all of my worldview issues just completely cemented with a happy Christian evangelism, not at all. I came to faith because I became convicted that Jesus is who he says he is. Ephesians 4.29 is our watchword, that we are to impart grace to the hearer. I might not agree with everything that you hold to be near and dear, but because we are neighbors, I don't have to say everything that's on my heart. And you don't have to say everything that's on your heart right now. We can put some of our worldview issues aside. And over years of this, the gospel takes on a momentum that is compelling to people. I think we need to give each other the reminder that it's God who saves. It's not about certainly us b- being perfect or our words being perfect, but show up we must in the lives of unbelievers. What comes naturally to me and what comes naturally to you is to hang out with people who are like us, <laughs> people who can maybe finish our sentences, people who don't scare us. But hospitality biblically speaking, takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and takes neighbors and makes them family of God. It's a great joy to see the gospel bring people together who are supposed to be enemies, and it's a great joy to know that God never gets the address wrong. And if your neighbors aren't people you know yet, there's a blessing waiting for you.
0: Oh. it's powerful, eh? Powerful. She says, she goes on to say this in her book called um, Gospel Comes with the House Key. She says, those who live out radical, ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of the kingdom. <laughs> They open doors, they seek out the underprivileged, and they know that the gospel comes with the house key. i got to admit, when I read this, I thought, oh, I don't think I like that. Because my house is my safe place, my, my castle, my fortress from the world. I'm a fighting pastor out there in the world of post-Christianity. Every day, defending the faith, one coffee, or as I like to say, one cortado at a time. And then the Lord says, "Jason, get over yourself." That's only he could say. See, for many of us, we don't think of our homes as a sacred place, but I want you to start thinking this morning, this space, this, this hospitality of the gospel. what if your home was the outpost of the kingdom of heaven? Wow, what if it was that? And let me finish up. I'm going to get really practical with you because Here's where we get it completely wrong, and we opt out of the commandment, we opt out of the practice, we, we opt out of, because of our circumstances, and uh, especially people with low-income students, or a single person living with their parents, or whatever it is, it looks like it's a get-out clause, but I want to tell you that everybody's included in this practice. Entertainment is different from hospitality, and hospitality is different from Entertainment. The two are completely different. Entertainment, I keep one this thing, that's, that's entertainment. Bit of the jam, bit of the weather, bit of the modfather. father. No. Okay, entertainment is not about, entertainment is about impressing people, right? <laughs> you need to get a bit of weather on your phone, whoever that is. Uh, entertainment is about impressing people, and you can. You can keep them, you see the thing about impressing people and here's what we can do. Like we can keep people at arm's length if we're impressing them. Uh, we can keep them at a distance and then we can open up our home and we can do razzmatazz, you know. We can have the house swept and the Fan Morrison CD going in and the old vintage hipster record player and the coffee smell and the candles lit, you know. We, uh, we can do all that there and we can still keep people at arm's length. Just as you are, there's hospitality. It's opening your heart and opening your home at the same time and that's a big difference. It's just as you are and being willing to invite Jesus into the conversation. Here's the thing where we get it wrong. We think if Jesus is invited to the conversation, the conversation stops. No, the conversation deepens. I don't know about you, but people that I bring into my home that don't know about Jesus, is the conversation has never stopped. It's always deepened. So you've been read, you've been fed a lie. For those who think if Jesus is in the conversation that it stops, you know, and we, and we don't help the conversation, us preachers and pastors. You know, we always talk about going on an airport. Do you ever t- hear pastors talking about going on? And, and you know, the guys I listen to, they all fly first class, and they all have a God story, and it all happened in first class. Nothing happens in economy. It's the message. What about the, private jet? the private jet, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> I would just like a private lambretta at the minute and move from the festival. But anyway, you've just lost my way of thinking. You. <laughs> what was I saying? Hospitality, heart and home conversation. Oh, we, 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 and they'd always tell this story, you know, oh, I was traveling a first class bus, and the person says to me, what do you do? And I told them I was a pastor, a church preacher and then the conversation died. It never happened to me that way. It's never happened to me, at least in economy. Maybe people in the first class just don't want to hear those stories. <sighs> but Jesus, just one more. Just one time, please, on the way to India. <laughs> you know, what hospitality does, it, 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 it's about inclusion. It blurs the lines from host and guest. Didn't we read that Jesus? Remember, Jesus told that story of going to the Pharisee or going to the Pharisee's house, and then the, the the sinful woman actually became the the host. And Simon, who was meant to pull out all the stops and uh, and the culture, who he brought this rabbi to his house, he actually does none of it. And the the sinful, maybe the maybe the prostitute, maybe she's the the host. It's beautiful, isn't it? See, what happens is entertainment is sporadic, isn't it? Sporadic, let's put it down in the diary. And let's just talk about the elephant in the room, right? Let's just talk about the panic button in your life. There is a panic moment that happens in all of our homes, right? Let me just tell you what the panic moment is. You're, it's say it's September, it's October. The nights are a wee bit on the turn. The nights are getting a wee bit darker. You've closed the curtains, you've lit the fire, and you've got the, the Joe Malone candle burning, right? Today's talk is sponsored by Joe Malone. And so you're sitting there and you're watching your... Netflix and doing all that there. And then it happens. It puts a fear of God on you. Do you know what that moment is? You hear a knock at the door. <laughs> what? Because nobody knocks your door after seven. And what usually happens in our house is Michelle says, who do you think it is? And I say, I just, <laughs> she really believes in my prophetic gift and so much so that she always says to me, who do you think it is? And I say, I'm not getting anything. So I say, You answered. No, you answered. <laughs> anybody else do this? It's just, just, weird. It's just this weird just weird thing that we do. No, you answered. No, I'm not answering it. We I'm not expecting anybody. You answered. And so we answer the door, and there's somebody saying, Hello. Yeah, it's not some crazed robber that's just escaped from Magabri who's made their whole way down to the bush and come to number two and they said they were going to kill two pastors for drinking coffee and telling people about Jesus here in Dungana. That's usually not the story. Entertainment is sporadic. You see, it's occasional. It's an event. Hospitality is generosity in practice. It doesn't re- re- expect a return, and it often is okay with somebody showing up and knocking your door. And there's no repay. There's no repay. I go out with Malcolm Hay sometime, and there's this argument always happens when we come to pay, because I always pay on a Thursday. And he always says, "Put that away. I'll pay it." And I said, "No, no, no. I always pay on a Thursday. It's it's my turn." And it just goes on for like half an hour, an hour. No, it doesn't. I just let him pay all the time. <laughs> That's just a story for effect. But hospitality doesn't expect. Re- it doesn't expect return. It's not set up like you know. I took you, you, I took you to my house. Now you took me. You took me to your house. Any people have eaten in our houses last why Show your hands. No. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, it, it starts first with the posture of the heart, and then it leaks. It leaks out of her lives, it leaks out of her budget. Oh, that's what I hate. Uh, like Michelle goes nuts sometimes, like with pain nuts and <laughs> expensive things. And it comes out We're having people this week again. We had people two weeks ago. You know, I just do this to keep me off the list of 1st Peter or 2nd Peter. That's all I'm doing it for, Michelle. So there's no gossip about this leader. You know, you can I do take a pint, I'll admit that there, but I don't want anybody talking about me that I haven't had people around in my house in the last six weeks. I don't want that tweeted all over the country. My image is bad enough out there. Not this image, but the persona image. <laughs> hospitality starts with a posture heart but it does leak out in every area of our lives and I think that's what scares us that's why when the gospel comes with the key of the house it's like, Ugh. I think that's the fear thing in me I think that's why the fear thing is like, it's like, it's mine it's my house it's my stuff it's my LPs one of them signed by Fan Morrison it's my stuff. And then I've got to bring people in to my house, get extra stuff for the groceries, and talk for two friggin' hours. <laughs> An introvert talking for two hours. You <laughs> There's a grace in that I didn't actually hear a thing. Okay, I'm finishing up, guys, because let's do coffee. Are you getting what I'm saying? Seriously, are you getting what I'm saying? Good. This is where we're going next week. New Testament scholars and historians prove that the spread of the gospel throughout the world spread from table to table. It happened with 120 in an upper room around a table, breaking bread and actually pouring wine. Guys, it wasn't rabbinic; it was wine. They broke bread and they poured wine and that gospel went from all over Europe and then comes right full circle around to Dungan and County Tyrone on what date today is, this is the 12th, the 13th, 12th of August. Here we are sitting in black chairs all because people were willing to open up their homes and go from table to table, spreading and ushering people into the kingdom of heaven. And that is biblical. You're looking for models today, guys? You're looking for evangelism models? Open up your house. It's not yours. It's not yours. Radically one table to. And you know what? I'm finishing finishing. We have we've lost something. When you're panicking like me, about who's knocking your door after seven. That's okay. That's okay in a way. I'm not judging you. But there's something wrong with our psyche. There's something wrong with our inner being when we are afraid of people coming to our door. Right? The knock at the door makes people anxious. We we need to address that. I think we should, all of us, begin a kind revolution of radically ordinary generosity. Because here's the thing this is worth saying you don't have to take mission somewhere you can bring mission to your home and the beauty of this hospitality and this practice of jesus is that it's just found in the ordinary and i don't know about you but most of life is done in the ordinary most of life is not spectacular you know people come to church and they fade away they hear one sound bite and they see things and they hear things and it sounds good and it sounds clever and then they discover that they've got to love their neighbor and take out their bin the next week Like, seriously, I'll try somewhere else. There's nothing spectacular at, at times, but there is something extraordinary about opening your home. It's that we all get to bring the gospel to where we're at, with who we're with, in the ordinary, in the moment. And it's more than a meal. It's an engagement. It's a posture of the heart. And let me say this, just in case, just in the entertainment thing again. Guys, it's, uh, it's, it's not about the big meal. It's not about, you know, you don't, you don't have to buy Jamie Oliver's cookbook. You don't have to get Davy Moyer's top tips or even pay him to come to your house before people come and kick him out the back door and say, go, 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 go. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. You don't have to do anything again. Uh, and, and again, if you're a student or you don't have your own home or you're living at home, you can do what, what Jesus did. Because he didn't have a home. He went to people's house. And he guest and host became blurred. And Jesus engaged in conversation. And became like the host. And the host became like the guest. And it was all blurred. And we didn't know who was who in that culture. So if you're a student, you can you can still do that. If you're, if you're living at home, you can still do that. If you're living on a low budget, then just just do coffee. And it's okay, for instance. Just don't invite me. That's <laughs> just That was mean. That was very mean. Let's stand. So let's let's ask the one who loves to show up to show up right now. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you. You're so welcome in this house. Come and be our guest. But more than anything, come and be our host. Holy Spirit, come. Come, wonderful Holy Spirit. God, Almighty, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would you do something in our hearts today? We want to be with Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And we want to do what you did, Jesus. We want to follow you. And God, we want to see your kingdom extended to our friends and our family. We're tired of people being anxious and worried and depressed and suicidal, God. We're we're tired of people just burnt out trying to keep up with the Joneses and and just, just bowing to consumerism and being slaves to society, God. Would you set them free, emancipate them, God, in their hearts and their minds. God, and do it through us as we open our homes. And usher in the beautiful, the beautiful, the beautiful shalom of God. The ever welcoming, ever welcoming, the wholeness of God that you, Father, intended for society. For our streets, for our neighbors, for our friends, for our relations, God, for our workmates, for our universities. Come right now. And I just want to I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and bring peace. I don't think there was anything unintentional about the song choice this morning that, that Sam did. I, I, I think that she's leaning into what the Father was doing and where the Spirit was leading. And So there's some of you this morning where it looks good, but it's not well with your soul. And I don't mean that you don't know Jesus and you haven't invited him into your heart or any of that language. But it's just waves, waves of anxiety, waves of, of turmoil. Waves of, of fear and uncertainty. And I just want to pray for you this morning that the Spirit of God would come and bring us peace to your life and your home and the shalom that he brings. And when he comes and when he taught his disciples when they go from house to house to leave, peace. Leave the shalom. And I want to make sure that we have left space this morning for you to experience that. So I'm going to ask you to respond. Every head by every close. You just quickly raise your hand. I want to pray that this peace would become your reality this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, we center our souls in you. We trust you this morning, that you're good, that you're kind, and you're for us. And that when we're with you, everything else is secondary. That we seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And the benefit is all these things are added to us. Our clothes, our provision, our connections, our pathways, our careers. Come, Holy Spirit. So deposit peace right now. Deposit peace right now. Come in your presence. Come in your power. More of you, Jesus. More of you. Come, Holy Spirit, come.